The Lord calls us to worship this morning from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Amen. today and lift up the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our desire as your people today that we would worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth, that the meditation of our heart and the song that is in our soul would be pleasing to you. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us today, that you would fill each one of us with your spirit, that we would sing songs of praise to you that are pleasing, and that the words that come out of our mouth and the thoughts in our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, that you would be glorified, that the name of the Lord Jesus would be lifted up in all that we say and do. And Lord, we join our hearts together as your people, praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning, for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. And I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Titus, chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that we might be redeemed from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous for good works. Amen. Let's continue to worship now, singing hymn number 92, A Mighty Fortress is Our God.
children can come forward for the children's sermon. children. What a blessing it is to see this front area so filled on Sunday mornings with God's children. I want to talk with you this morning um, about planting and reaping and sowing. Does anybody know what sowing means in the garden? What does that mean? Does it mean a needle and a shirt that a button fell off of? Is that what sowing is? Titus? Planting seeds. Okay. And can somebody tell me if I plant some tomato seeds and they grow and they don't get eaten, what's going to come off of that plant? Tomatoes. Anybody else? Tomatoes. We got two tomatoes. Leaves. Leaves are coming off of the plants. That's right. But how many of you would be surprised if I told you that if I plant tomatoes, I'm going to get oranges? I got some funny looks just then. You don't expect that, right? You're not going to get that. Let me share some words with you from Galatians chapter 6, where the Bible bears out exactly what you just said. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man or a woman sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh, to his sinful desires, is what Paul is saying, will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So what does it mean for you and I to sow in the flesh? What does that mean? Do you have any idea? You certainly did know about the garden. What Paul is saying here, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Galatia. He's telling them that if you feed in your heart sinful desires, if you do things that you know are against God's Word, You will reap the benefits of that. And it won't be good. But in these verses, he also made a promise that if you sow towards God, you will reap the benefits by His Spirit. He will be with you. He will care for you. And you will enjoy His presence. So in your heart of hearts, you may say, but sometimes I don't want to do the things that the Bible says. And you don't have to raise your hand if you think that. I think everybody ties first for that here today. What the Bible is saying is that when in your heart you don't feel like obeying, you cry out to Jesus and ask Him for grace and for faith. And He always promises to answer that question. Let me pray for you now. Father, I do pray for our children, for those who are here this morning and those who are not, that You have put Your name upon them and they belong to You. Lord, I thank You for the privilege and the honor that it is to raise children to know You. And I pray for those who are here this morning and those who are not, that they would sow in the Spirit to you. Lord, I pray that you would give them the grace and strength to not give in to sinful desires, and that when they do, they have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who they can cry out to you in faith, that they may be forgiven of their sins. Lord, I pray that you would put this truth down deep in their soul, that they would believe it, and that they would never think for a moment that you wink at sin but that you have paid for their sins through your precious blood, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you.
Turn in your hymnal to page number 806 for our responsive reading this morning. We're going to be reading Psalm 61, page 806. I'll begin with the light portion and please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Increase the days of the king's life, his years, for many generations. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Let's stand together as we continue to worship, singing hymn number 347, The Church's One Foundation.
heaven, it is a joy and a privilege to be able to come to you now to pray, to lift up our hearts together as your people. Lord, what a privilege it is that we often set aside and lay aside in the worries and cares of this world. Sometimes prayer is something that we run to when we have exhausted every other opportunity and every other strength or means within our grasp. And we confess that it is quite easy sometimes to come to you at our worst. Lord, we come to you now as your people, praying that you would forgive us and that we would find grace in your presence to trust you and to put our faith in you. Lord, we thank you that you are ever near to us by your spirit. And Lord, what a privilege it is this morning again to pray for Bethany and her work that she is doing and what she shared in the update video this morning. Lord, I pray for her that you would give her strength and discretion with her time as she has many things that are considered priorities, I pray that you would give her grace to know when to pick something up and when to lay it down. And Lord, I pray that you would set aside for her as sacred and holy as you do for each one of us time in her day to spend with you in your word and in prayer. Lord, I pray that she would not set aside the means of grace, but that they would be something renewed in her mind and in her heart, that she would enjoy this time in your word and fellowship with you in prayer. And Lord, what a joy and a privilege it is to join our hearts together as a church to be able to pray for someone that we are supporting through the finances that you have given us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to continue to be faithful and be with us now as we as we hear this next song and as we come to your word. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to hear it and to understand it. Give us eyes and ears of faith that we would listen and believe and hear what you have for us today in your word, in your name. Amen. Thank you. 
I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6 this morning. Luke, chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. The sermon is entitled, Judas Iscariot. This is the word of the Lord. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money, so that he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. We are in a particularly special time of year. This is the Easter season. It's a time of anticipation and celebration and expectation for the people of God. We remember Jesus' death and His sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And we rejoice in His glorious resurrection as we eagerly await His second coming. He promised He is coming again. One of the darkest threads in the tapestry of redemption is the story of Judas Iscariot. It should shake your heart as you read those words. It should shake us because Judas was close enough to Jesus to eat with Him at the Last Supper, even to dip His bread in the same cup that Jesus used. Even still, He saw the miracles. He benefited from them. He even participated in them. Yet He committed the most wicked act in the history of the world, the most unimaginable thing in the Bible, to betray the Lord Jesus the glorious, sinless Son of God, the One who is worthy of all honor and praise and glory, He betrayed. The hope that you hear today is not that you are as bad as Judas. This is not a moral lesson. Don't be a bad Judas. The message and the hope that you hear today is that Jesus died to save sinners like you and me. That He rose again victorious over the grave, over your sin and mine, and over the death that we deserve. That all of His enemies and ours have been defeated in the cross. That is what we celebrate and what we anticipate in the story of Easter. It's not something cute to put on a flannel graph. It is the life and death of a man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He died a real death on the cross. He bled for you and me. It is real. It's not a story. I want to share with you a quote from A.W. Pink. As you think about your sins, it is not the absence of sin, but the grieving over it which distinguishes the child of God from empty professors. I'll read it again. It is not the absence of sin, but the grieving over it which distinguishes the child of God from empty professors. This is not talking about a vocation at a college, but an empty professor in the Lord Jesus. Someone who says, I'm a Christian. Not the absence of sin. Christians are not people who don't sin. Christians are people who sin and feel it deeply. That's what A.W. Pink is saying. They grieve over their sin. So this morning as we look at this text, I want to do so under three headings. First, the fullness of times. Number two, 
Five sure things. And lastly, where does your faith and hope rest? Number one, the fullness of times. And this is an interesting phrase in the book of Ephesians. We've looked at it in men's Bible study. And I believe we see it in living color here in the Gospel of Luke. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He, God the Father, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. That God was doing something in cosmic proportion, both on the earth and in heaven, and all of it was culminating in this one particular time in one particular person, the Lord Jesus. That when He chose to send Him, it wasn't because He got up on a Tuesday and said, I have nothing to do. It was because everything that was happening in the world and everything in the history of redemption that had to happen before Jesus came had taken place. And so He chose to send Him exactly when He did. When the pump was primed, when God's people were ready, or so it seemed. And it was time for redemption to be displayed for God's people to see. There were things that were taking place, at least three in this text. First, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. These are two significant deliverance events in Israel's history. The Israelites, those who were faithful, would have come to Jerusalem to celebrate. They would have come with anticipation. The followers of Jesus who had heard His teaching and saw the miracles that He did out in the country would have been gathering. Are we going to see Him? What's He going to do during this time? If He did that during the humdrum time of the year, what is He going to do now? Did you see Him cast out the demons? Did you see Him raise the little girl from the dead? What is He going to do now? They were waiting and anticipating. The buzz of expectation was in the air. The faithful people of God were rehearsing the story of God's redemption in Egypt. When He said to Moses, I have heard the cries of My people. Go and tell Him, let My people go. They were remembering redemption, what it meant to be delivered. There was a buzz in the air. They were waiting for deliverance. There was real oppression they were suffering. There was real shame. And they were remembering the mighty hand and the mighty plan of God to take care of His people. And they were hoping, maybe we will see it again. There was also the fullness of times with the great conflict that was taking place between Jesus and the religious leaders of that time. What had been boiling under the surface. We don't like Him. We don't like what He says. We don't like what He is doing. He raised Lazarus from the dead and the people are following Him. And if they keep following Him, this was a conversation in John chapter 11, if the people keep going after Him, Rome is going to find out we are going to lose our place and we are going to lose this nation too. And what little bit of control we actually do have that the Romans do give us, we're going to lose that too. So the only way they could get rid of this is to get rid of Jesus. And this conflict that had boiled under the surface has now come to the tipping point. The teapot is whistling and they are ready to take action. This conflict, Jesus is teaching with authority. The signs and the miracles are being done and it's unmistakable. You cannot deny them. They are happening. And these people are going after Him. And yet, in Matthew chapter 26, as Matthew records it, Matthew 26 verse 4, they said, these elders and leaders and the captains and the priests, said, not during the fast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So even they who want to see Jesus dead have decided, let's not do it now. There are too many of the people here. They'll see it. 
And there will be a riot. And we can't afford to have that happen. We won't do it now. And lastly, the fullness of times is seen in the conflict that is going on between God and Satan. Remember, he didn't leave the scene forever when he left Jesus in earlier in Matthew, after Jesus was tempted in the desert. After that third temptation, he said to him, Right? Come and worship me. You can get glory another way. Just don't die, Jesus. Don't die. You can have glory. People will love you. They will worship you. But please, don't die. There's another way to be worshipped. There's another way to get honor if you will only bow down and worship me. And it says that he left Jesus after he had ended every temptation in Luke chapter 4, that he departed from him until an opportune time. And what we read here in Luke chapter 22 is that opportune time with Judas. The fullness of times had come in this conflict with Jesus and Satan, and it has come to a head. He knows what's about to happen, and he is shaking, because he knows if Jesus dies, that is the end of his kingdom. His throne will not last forever. Secondly, five sure things that we know from this text. Five sure things that happen as we think about one of the twelve. One of the ones that Jesus had called to himself particularly. He said, Judas, come and follow me. Five sure things. Number one, the scripture had to be fulfilled. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that Judas would do this to Jesus. This wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a surprise. In Psalm chapter 41, verse 9, Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. David said that in Psalms. Acts chapter 1, verse 16, Peter said, Men and brothers, this scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry. He was part of the disciples. It's unmistakable. You can't say he wasn't. You cannot cancel him. It's in the Bible. One of the followers of Jesus betrayed him. You can't rewrite history. That's the whole point of the first part of the book of Acts and why Peter is writing and saying what he did. Why it's recorded that way in Acts. Number two, five sure things. Judas is without excuse. Judas received the same calling, the same power, the same authority, and received the same teaching that all of the other disciples received from the Lord Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, And when He had called His twelve disciples to Him, He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And He told them when He sent them out to go and preach that the kingdom of God is near. Judas went out and preached. He preached the gospel. Though it's clear from this text, it did not reach his soul. Judas is without excuse. Satan didn't come and take some unsuspecting Judas. He was innocent before this. Don't believe that about this text. He came and dealt with what was in Judas's heart. What was already there. He is not a puppet. Five sure things. Number three, he was an instrument in the hands of Satan. One of the twelve, this Judas, was a choice arrow in the quiver 
of Satan aimed at the heart of Jesus. Luke chapter 22 verse 3 says very plainly, Then Satan entered Judas' heart, who was numbered among the twelve. If you read about Judas, you almost never see a phrase not included that he was part of the twelve. They always remind you he was part of the twelve or he was the one that betrayed Jesus. He was an instrument of Satan. He's not a puppet. John chapter 12 verse 6. Then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. This was after Mary had anointed Jesus with the very expensive bottle of perfume. And as he stands back and looks at it, he says, Lord, why didn't why did she waste that just now? And why didn't you stop her? We could have sold that for 300 denarii and given it to the poor. And here's John's anecdotal comment. He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he loved money. And he was the treasurer of the disciples. And he used to dip his hand in that bag of money, just like he dipped his hand in the cup with Jesus to betray him. And they must have found out later that he did it. And yet Jesus knew the entire time, this man will betray me. He will. It will happen. Five sure things, number four. Jesus has supreme knowledge of this. He knew beforehand that Judas would betray him. This isn't news to Jesus. This isn't an aha moment. Oh shoot, I picked the wrong one. I only had to pick 12 and I picked one who would do this. No, that's not the case. In John chapter 6, verse 64, he says, But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knows. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray Him. He knew from the beginning. He knew before He chose Him that it had been appointed for Him to be a son of disobedience. And He chose Him anyway. John chapter 13, verses 18 to 19. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, That when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am He. I allowed this to happen so you would see it. And so you would remember, I told you I knew before it took place, that you would believe I am the Christ. Jesus is saying that one of the reasons He chose Judas was so He could tell His disciples about it beforehand so that they would have no doubt who He is. I am Jesus. I am the living God. You must believe in Me. Five sure things, number five, that it was part of the predestined plan of God. He sovereignly ordained to use this betrayal to accomplish redemption. We said that Satan's plan was for Jesus not to go to the cross at any expense. Do anything else. You can worship me. You can make bread for yourself, he told Jesus during his temptation. Throw yourself off of the pinnacle of the temple and his angels will take care of you. Do anything, Jesus, but go to the cross. Anything. And in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28, it says, For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Here, what's being said is that this happened according to God's plan. That according to His hand and His purpose, all of those things happened. The Gentiles, the Israelites, Herod, Pontius Pilate, everyone who was gathered against Jesus 
was there doing that as part of God's plan. He would absolutely use it for His glory and for His name. That nobody does anything apart from His plan. And He will use any and everything by any means possible to bring glory to Himself. Nothing causes His arm to be short or His hand or His purposes to be thwarted. It's not possible. I want to ask you this morning as we look at Judas and as you think about your own life, where does your faith and your hope rest, dear child of God? Where does it rest? I want to give you two places from Judas that I believe we know it shouldn't rest. First, that participation and proximity to Christian experiences does not equal faith in Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 20, after Jesus had sent out the 70, and they came back and they told Him, Lord, we've done all of this in Your name. The spirits are even obedient to us. Just like they were to you. They are obeying us. And they marvel. And Jesus says to them in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Judas was among those who were sent out. And he received the same power that everyone else did. And I wonder if Jesus turned and looked at him when he said this. Don't rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in what your relationship to me gets you. Your relationship with me is not primarily something that you get out of me. It's what you get because you belong to me. A name in heaven and a place and a home and inheritance and deliverance from your sins. Number two, where we shouldn't place our hope. In money and in its pleasures because they do not last. They promise more than they will ever deliver. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, two weeks ago we said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The same Jesus who said this, that you can't serve God and money, also inspired the writer of Proverbs to write that it is the blessing of the Lord that makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. That means that if you are searching for riches that do not come from the hand of the Lord, there will be sorrow attached with it, dear people of God. Sorrow upon sorrow in your heart. A quote, Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. In Matthew chapter 27, as the narrative goes along, as Everyone is seeing that Judas is condemned, that Jesus is condemned, and Judas is watching. Somehow he's close by and knows what's going on. And he's moved in his heart. And he goes back to those leaders and elders that he had planned with. That it says, the scripture says that he was looking for a convenient time to betray Jesus. He went back and he said, Look, I've sinned against innocent blood. This man is condemned. And he brought back in his hand that bag of money that he had received. And the chief priests and the elders said to him, What is that to us? You take care of it. You see to it. That sin is on you. And what did Judas do after that? In Matthew chapter 27, it says that he was remorseful. He said, I've sinned. And then it says that he threw the silver into the temple and walked away. And sadly, tragically, he hung himself. 
He could not face the shame and the guilt and the weight of sin that was on him. He went and hung himself. And I say that with fear and with trembling. Because I know that there are some of you in this room, in my hearing, or next door, who have gone through the difficulty of someone committing suicide in your family. And I don't say this lightly to say that, well, he deserved it or he earned it. Just like you and me, Judas could have run to Jesus. Lord, I betrayed you. And I fall on my face before you. And yet he didn't. He was crushed under the weight of his sin and under the guilt of it. And he couldn't look Jesus in the face and he couldn't even bear to look at himself anymore. And that's why he did it. Sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Where do you place your faith and your hope, dear people of God? I'm going to say you should place it in the bounty of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, His people, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And what does that mean? He explains it later in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. That's where your identity is, dear church. That's where your faith and your hope should rest. That my sins can be forgiven. That they were nailed to His cross. That on Him was poured out all the wrath of God and the weight of the guilt of my sin He bore for me. When Judas saw Jesus condemned, he couldn't bear it. He knew he'd had a part in it. That his hands were dirty and he couldn't take it. I want to ask you a few questions. As you think about seeing your identity in the bounty of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there an acknowledgement of sin in your life? Is there repentance? Are you pursuing godliness by faith in Christ alone? Are you seeing advance and growth in grace in your own life? In your home, are you seeing victory over sin? And do you have less and less of a taste for the things that you once did when you didn't belong to the Lord? We ask similar questions when we accept new members here at Lebanon. We ask two questions. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure, and without hope, save in His sovereign mercy? And the second question. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He has offered to you in the Gospel? Those are two prerequisite questions to being a member here. And I want to ask you again today, not for you to doubt, and not for you to question, did I really believe it when I said yes when the elders asked me that question? Because there is a day coming when you will be asked questions and it won't be your elders. It will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the judge of all the universe. There were some who came to Jesus and said, Lord, did we not do what you gave us power to do? And he said that there will be some who come to me one day and ask, did we not cast out demons? Did we not do this and that and the other thing in your name? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. It is possible to be close to Christian things and to read the Bible even and to even be a preacher of the gospel and it not touch your heart. The question is not whether you have a list of spiritual experiences or have you met the Savior? Do you know Him? 
Judas spent three years with him. And you say, well, I was raised in a Christian home or I've come to Lebanon since I was born. Can you imagine being Judas? I walked with Jesus. I heard him share the gospel. Being close to it doesn't save you. The Lord Jesus quickening your heart, giving you faith, crying out to him, confessing your sins. That is what saves you. There is nothing else you can add to the end of that. Jesus only. Faith in Christ only. Repenting of my sins only. There is nothing else to add. Jesus did everything for you. And I quake and shake in my boots as I read this story. As I prepared this week. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you saved me. A sinner. Thank you that you saved me. J.C. Ryle says in closing, The question to be considered is not whether you are a great sinner or a little sinner, whether you are elect or not, or whether you are converted or not. The question is simply this, do you feel and hate your sins? Are you willing to put your life in Christ's hands? All of it, not just some of it, not your Sunday go-to-meeting best, all of it. Then, if that be the case, the door will be open to you at once. Come in this very day. John chapter 6. All who come to me, I will bring in. Jesus is saying, the free offer of the gospel is here. Anyone who comes to me by faith, I will bring in and he will be part of my family. I will provide for him. I will forgive his sins and heal his heart. Today is the day of salvation. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, cry out to him in faith. And if you'd like to have a conversation, I would love to talk to you. Or one of our elders would love to talk to you about faith in Christ. I don't mean having your name on the rolls at a church. I mean believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, being delivered from your sins and belonging to Him by faith and having been given a new name. That is work that the Lord Jesus does. If you point to anything that you do, it's not salvation. It is Him alone. Let us pray. Father, I thank You that You didn't choose to pull this part of the Scriptures out. You could have chosen for any one of the gospel writers not to include this, but it's in every gospel that we would hear and know of the deceptiveness of sin. And Lord, I pray for those in my hearing in this room and next door in the educational building that if someone does not know You, Lord, that they would cry out to You in faith. Not as a respecter of persons and not wondering what other people will think. Because one day they will stand before you as the only righteous and true judge. Lord, I pray that we would take this seriously in our hearts. It's nothing we can muster up. We can't work up faith in you. It is a gift. And Lord, I pray that we would consider that strongly now. In your name. Amen. Let's continue to worship as we stand together and sing hymn number 246, Man of Sorrows. What a name.
You may be seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. Jesus, we pray that you would use our tithes and our offerings for the sake of the glory of your name throughout the world. Lord, we pray that you would use it to provide the means that people will need to go and spread the gospel. And Lord, we do pray that you would share the good news through us to our neighbors, our friends and our family. And also through these means that the name of Jesus would be lifted up and that lost souls 
would be brought into the kingdom of God in your name. Amen. invite you tonight at 6 for our evening activities, the adults we will be studying in the Confession chapter 6 tonight. Receive the benediction of our Lord. Now may God be your exceeding joy, Christ your unfailing hope, and the Spirit your unfailing comforter in all your worship and work and your troubles until Jesus comes again. Amen.